Before we get started with this episode of American Rabbi Project, a few quick things. First of all, if you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to this podcast. You can do so by going to my website, rabbiproject.com, and clicking on the Donate tab. Also, I am officially on the speaking circuit, so to say. If you're interested in having me speak to your group of any size, please shoot me an email, justin at rabbiproject.com. Once again, justin at rabbiproject.com. And of course, I can do virtual presentations. Finally, everyone interviewed for this podcast speaks solely for themselves. Welcome to American Rabbi Project, the podcast about American Judaism from the perspective of rabbis across the country. I'm Justin Regan. At the recording of this episode, much of the world continues to be in the grips of a global pandemic, and I hope you and your family are doing well. For what it's worth, my family is healthy, and I'm grateful for that. This pandemic also intersects with Passover, Pesach, the festival of freedom, and foil. Many satyrs were canceled or went virtual. As one meme puts it, in an ironic twist, Passover, the holiday about plagues, is canceled due to a plague. And I'm sure someone on the internet has also made a joke about how Elijah and Miriam, the prophets associated with the festival, have to practice social distancing. Although I'd argue they can be considered essential staff, especially seeing as leaders the world over gave the coveted designation to the Easter Bunny. Regardless, this reminds me of a conversation I had with Elijah many Passovers ago. My grandparents on my mom's side were hosting the Seder. They have one of those houses with a lot of white carpets, so you either have to take off your shoes or walk on your knees to the kitchen. During the Seder, the time came to let in Elijah, so I rushed to the door, flung it open, and said, Come on in, Elijah, but take off your shoes. Grandmom has light carpeting. It's probably one of the funnier Passover memories in my family. This year, my grandparents, who live five minutes away, were on a blurry screen for the family Seder. We didn't even share food out of concern for contamination. Passover this year has been different for a lot of people, but it's crucial not to forget how important the season is, a time for education and reflection, of spring cleaning and tales from long ago. We must find a way to stay connected to the Festival of Freedom. So for this year's Rabbi Roundtable episode, I asked rabbis we've met on this podcast to record themselves sharing some of their most significant Passover memories. We begin the trip down memory lane in the heart of the old north end of Burlington, Vermont. Hi, this is Rabbi Jan Salzman. I'm the rabbi of a Jewish renewal congregation in Burlington, Vermont, named Ruach Hamakom, and we've um, been around since uh, 2016. I have two basic memories of Passover that come to mind when asked the question. Uh, one, of course, was the, the being at the table with the family. My grandpa would always be trying to rush through the Seder. When are we done? When are we done? Um, but what I remember uh, mostly, or maybe not mostly, but I remember clearly, is that after the meal was over, all the women, my two sisters, my mother, my aunt, my uh, grandma would go into this small little kitchen and they'd spend the evening then washing all the dishes. But I, I went and hung out with the men in the uh, other room while my grandpa smoked a cigar. And I remember that I, I really just wanted to hang out with the guys more because I was interested in what they were doing and what they were saying. I wanted to be part of a conversation 
and not uh, washing the dishes. So that was that's one memory. The other memory is um, one year I was home from college, a very hot, fiery, um, uh, politically oriented young woman, and my father made a remark, and I hollered at him for making a racist remark, and he, I screamed at him, and he, I hurt him. I hurt him so badly. And he, he got up and he walked into the other room, that room where we would normally gather after dinner, and he sat there on the couch and he was shaking. And I realized that the eruption was truly profound and I was horrified. And I, I walked into that room, which had held so many wonderful conversations, and I apologized. And he still was so shaken that I don't think he could hear it. But eventually everybody got back to business and we finished the Seder and we went home. But I will never forget how much I hurt him. He's been dead now for 31 years, 32 years, something like that. And um, to this day, the rawness that we can bring to our Seder tables, to our family dinners, uh, is sometimes uh, a rawness that can erupt in words that we wish we could take back into our mouths. And I I, uh, I probably will forever uh, wish that I had not hurt him so much on that night. Other than that, Passover was a great time. We would clean the house, you know, the usual. Um, and I, by and large, had an incredibly loving family. Um, and I was really blessed with some great Passover evenings. Thank you. I'm John Spiracevet, and I'm the rabbi in Nashua, New Hampshire, at Temple Beth Abraham. One of my favorite memories of Pesach from the past was from my freshman year in college. I came from Minnesota, and when I got to college, there were so many kids from uh, the bigger communities like New York and Los Angeles, and I felt kind of intimidated to be at Hillel, even though I'd been so active in my own Jewish community, and I. I was there periodically, but uh, not nearly as much as I thought I would be until Passover came. And it kind of happened that all the kids from the big northeastern cities especially went home for Pesach, and all the people who had been leading programs and activities and services were gone, and those of us who were kind of the second string had to step up. So I volunteered to lead a Seder, it may have been two Seders in the dorms, and it was a terrific chance to find my feet as a as a Jewish leader again. And uh, and I remember sometime afterwards uh, in the dining hall running into one of my acquaintances who came up to me and uh, and he thanked me for the Seder and for leading it and told me what a, what a great job I had done and may have even said something like, you know, you could be my, my rabbi anytime. And I had been thinking about that. It's not like that was the source of my idea. But, um, but it really meant a lot to me. And that particular Passover my freshman year was the the door that opened that enabled me to come back and eventually become active the following year in Hillel and, and everything that came after that. My name is Rabbi Shoshana Meira Friedman. I live in Boston. It's hard to pick one Passover memory that's my favorite, but I'll share one from my year in Jerusalem when I was a rabbinical student. I went to the Seder of a wonderful rabbi, Rabbi Ruskan Kagan. Uh, who leads the community Nava Tehila in Jerusalem. And we had a beautiful time with her family. Uh, the Seder went till about two or three in the morning. And I 
stayed, I was too tired to walk home. So I just stayed on their living room floor on some cushions and fell asleep to the sound of Reb Ruth and her children, her grown children, chanting Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, all the way through, which is their custom on the first night of Pesach. And it was a powerful, beautiful experience. And when I woke up the next morning pretty tired and walked back to my apartment, I felt a deeper sense of connection to the Chag, to the holiday than I than I had before, connecting it to the spring, to love, and to the uh, sacred sense of connection that we had had the night before in the Seder. Shalom. My name is Rabbi Dara Lerner, and I'm with Congregation Bethel in beautiful Bangor, Maine. One of my favorite memories of Passover was from when I was still not quite even bat mitzvah. We lived in a Southern California suburb, and most of our friends were middle-class families. And at that ripe old age of 11 or 12, or whatever it was that I was, I wrote off my friend's parents, as many kids do, as just suburban parents. One of my friend's moms, I thought, is them having a few dollars more and her the kind that went to the country club or did her nails or whatever I envisioned. One Passover, I was eavesdropping on the adult's table, maybe more than usual, and I overheard her talking. And what I overheard has stuck with me to this day. Now, she is all of five foot nothing and at that point had maybe a few extra pounds from a comfortable lifestyle And so, as she discussed many years earlier in her life, some time she spent in Israel, in Palestine, before the founding of the state. And she talked about those years when she knew personally Menachem, or at least that's how she referred to him, Menachem Begin. My ears perked up and I wondered, what, she knew Menachem Begin? And then she said, yes, when I was in the Irgun with Menachem Begin. The Irgun? Wait, those were a fighting bunch, a bunch working to liberate and set up and establish the state of Israel. Well, I have to say, I was completely amazed, and it totally changed the way I looked at her, the way I understood many of my other parents, other friends, And I thought to myself, wow, this is a Passover to remember. We not only come out of Egypt, but we are constantly coming out of different places, expectations, and discovering a whole new world out there. May this Passover be one of unexpected surprises about the people you know, the people you care about, even if you're celebrating far away from them. Hello, I'm Rabbi Robert Haas, and I want to wish everyone all the best for the holiday season. I think now more than ever, it's especially important that we spend time with family and friends during this Passover. And again, I wish everyone all the best. As for my favorite Passover memory, it came when we held Seder at my uncle's house. I was in my 20s, and my brother and cousins, all guys, were in our 20s. We had this wonderful Seder with Uh, wonderful trimmings, and of course, following family tradition of reminding everyone of the most embarrassing moment in their lives, until we came to the moment of the afikomen. And of course, we're in our 20s, we didn't really want to look for it. And my uncle said, well, you don't have to. 
and he gave each of us a sheet of paper. And on that paper were questions about our family history. He said we need to answer all of them before we can finish the meal. So we got together and answered as many as we could, but there were a bunch we just didn't know from way back. So what did we do? This was before I was religious. We ended up calling all of our family around the country, interrupting their seders to get the answer to the question. So not only did we spend time with my family in my hometown, but we spent time with the people all around the world. And I think that's especially important today considering what we're all going through. So I wanna wish everyone again all the best. I hope that you answer every trivia question correctly and find the Afikoman and may it be a safe and happy year for all of us. Shalom. My name is Haim Ovalia. My special uh, Seder memory comes from about 30 years ago when we lived in Bogota, Colombia. My wife invited for Lela Seder a piano companion, a Russian Jew, who got a letter from her grandmother reminding her that Pesach is coming. And as she showed it to my wife, my wife said, please come to us for Lela Seder. They finally showed up in the middle of the Haggadah. We had to start because they were a little late. And as they stepped in, Angelique was holding beautiful, large white box that obviously contained a cake. And at that moment, my wife's face turned much whiter than the box. And was clearly that she is going to faint right there, seeing that Hametz invading her house on Lela Seder after all the preparations. I sort of saved the situation. I took the box and uh, hurried to the kitchen. I left through the back door and gave it to the doorman. And we sort of continued the Seder. And after all was over and the dessert came up, Angelique joined my wife in the kitchen and told her in Spanish with Russian accent, Edna, Yo sabía que ustedes no pueden comer eso, pero dije, una sola vez, ¿qué va a pasar? In other words, I know that you can't eat this, but I said to myself, only one time, what's going to happen? And we were talking about it for a while, but really appreciate the fact that she came for La Seder, because as she told us, in Russia, the only way her family was able to observe Pesah is get two pieces of matzah from a man who would dress as a traveling agent and pass door to door with a beaten suitcase, giving two matzahs per family. So the fact that she still remained connected was a great thing for us. We still remember that, and we'll laugh once in a while. Have a beautiful Pesach. In order of appearance, those were Rabbis Jan Salzman, John Spira Savet, Shoshana Meira Friedman, Dara Lerner, Robert Haas, and Haim Ovadia sharing some of their most significant Passover memories. As for my Pesach memories, asking Elijah to consider my grandparents' carpets was one of many funny tales from the satyrs of my youth. A lot of laughter and overcooked meat. My birthday falls around the festival, so one year my dad made kosher for Passover baked Alaska because true liberation is casting off the yoke of corporate cylinder box macaroons. Anyway, freshman year of college was the first time I had four full cups of wine at a Seder. It's a weird experience being drunk in a synagogue packed with families. A few years back, I produced several kosher for Passover cooking videos with another friend where I made delicacies like matzah nachos, or machos as I call them, 
and Eggs Benedict. They still exist somewhere in the bowels of YouTube if you're up for a virtual Afikoman hunt. Last year, my girlfriend, whom you met in the previous episode, joined my family Seder for the first time. After living in Arizona, it was my first Seder at home in years, and we also hosted a family friend who had recently lost her mother. It was a blend of old times and new developments. And this week has been memorable. My computer and podcast microphone became quasi-additions to the Seder plate. This Passover, the first cup of wine was needed for setting up the virtual hangout, but it eventually worked and turned out to be a lovely evening. It all makes me think about last year's Passover episode, where I asked rabbis what the phrase next year in Jerusalem means to them. Seems like it's quite relevant now. Last year, it was a more open-ended goal, a way to reflect on making the world a better place or improving oneself. That's still crucial. But this Pesach, next year in Jerusalem, feels more like next year with you. A simple, focused request that next year we can be more grateful for the time we spend with people in person and beyond the narrow spaces of the computer screen. This episode of American Rabbi Project was written and produced by me, Justin Regan. Thanks to Derek Pova, Sarit Dan Rathbone, Jeremy Crones, Beth Vanderstoop, Dylan Abrams, and my parents for the assistance. If you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to my project. You can do so by going to rabbiproject.com and clicking on the Donate tab. My email is justin at rabbiproject.com. I'm on Twitter with the handle at rabbiproject, Instagram with American Rabbi Project, and facebook.com slash rabbiproject. And until next time, happy Passover and stay safe. <laughs>